Who's here for the very first time? Anybody in here? All right, welcome. My name is Ethan. I'd love to meet you after this. Uh, we are continuing a series, and let me explain to you what the thought behind this series is. It's called Right Side Up. We often say when it comes to Jesus that Jesus came and flipped things upside down, that Jesus came with this upside down kingdom, and Jesus was very countercultural. He said a lot of things that ruffled feathers, but while the sentiment is right, I disagree with the verbiage that Jesus flipped things upside down because the reality is that everything belongs to God. And he created this place and he created us for a relationship with him. And it was sin that entered and flipped things upside down. When Jesus comes along, he's come to set things right side up. When he talks about sacrifice and compassion and love, those should be the normal things. Those are the right side up kingdom ways of living. So Jesus came to flip things right side up. Now there are so many things that are upside down about this world that it makes it really hard to pick one topic to preach about. What's one right side up thing that Jesus came and made really clear? And so I was thinking about that and I was searching, what's something that Jesus just like doubled down on? Pointing out to us, this is upside down and you need a right side up mentality about this. And I happened upon this interesting article from a guy named Bob Sorge. And what he was doing was laying out the four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, next to each other and saying, what did these all have exactly the same in them? Now, if you're new to the Bible, go back to July on YouTube or Spotify and listen to our Where's Jesus series because it will give you some more understanding of the Bible. But in short, there are four gospel accounts that tell the story of the life, ministry, death, resurrection of Jesus. They're all telling the same narrative, but we get different details in each one because they're from four different vantage points. So you'll find a different story in this one and a new teaching in this one, and they all collectively tell this beautiful story of Jesus. But our guy Bob was saying, okay, but what's exactly the same in all four of these? John's gospel is very different than the other three, another conversation for another day, but what's exactly the same? And he found four events, Jesus' baptism, the feeding of the 5,000, his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and the passion of the Christ, his death and his resurrection, all telling the same story with different details and stories. And then he found three predictions that Jesus made in all four of the gospels. He would be betrayed, Peter would deny him, and that he would die and that he would rise. But then Bob caught my attention because he said, there is no teaching of Christ contained in all four gospels, with one exception. Only one verse of teaching is to be found in all four gospels. We get tons of different sermons from Jesus, but there's one teaching that's in all four of them. And we see it six different times. It points to the fact that Jesus said this, taught this four different times in four different places at the least. So this is a go-to sermon for him, a back pocket. You always gotta come with something if you're a, a preacher. People find out you're a pastor and they're just like, oh, you should say something. Like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry to know you're a pastor. Do you wanna say something to the group? You're like, uh, before we play laser tag at this arcade? Like, no, I don't, I feel that's not necessary. Uh, we're talking about Jesus. Everybody wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. And he always knew what he wanted to say. This is one of the things that he said the most, maybe the go-to sermon. So the suspense is building for me. I'm like, I should probably preach on this. This sounds like a really important thing. Please let it be a fun one. Here's what it is. In short, find your life, you'll lose it. Lose your life, you'll find it. It sounds kind of like a riddle. What does that mean? Surrender. Surrender what? Everything. Everybody's excited now. <laughs> the title of this message is Surrender in a Control Freak World. The upside down thing in us is our need for control. It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. 
stop giving me dirty looks. <laughs> Adam and Eve go, we wanna be like God, we wanna be in control. And sin enters the world and flips things upside down and we all have that in us. I wanna be in control, I wanna be God. My decision, my way. Jesus is coming to say, that's upside down. I've come to flip things right side up. If you wanna be God, you wanna decide everything, you're on the throne, you're gonna watch your life slip through your hands like holding sand. You want the eternal abundant life that I have for you? Open up those hands and let go. Surrender it. Let's go through the six times we see him say this. Matthew 10, he's about to send his disciples on a little mission trip. Go try ministry and he gives them this pump up speech that's pretty intense where he's like, I've come with the sword. I've come to flip things right side up and people aren't gonna like it, they're not gonna like you, they're not gonna like me. And in this he says, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Matthew 16, he's in Caesarea Philippi with the boys and Peter goes, you're the Messiah, you're the Christ. And he says, here's what's gonna happen. I'm gonna die, do not despair, I will rise. And then he tells them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Mark tells the same story, Mark 8, 35, and guess what he says? For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Luke tells the same story, Luke 9, 24, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. And then later in Luke, Jesus is on his final journey to Jerusalem where a cross and a tomb await, and he's talking about the coming of the kingdom of God, and he says, whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. The last time we see this is in John chapter 12. This is likely hours before the Last Supper. And Jesus says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? He knows what's coming, and he's going, should I try to grab control back? Should I say, Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name, your will, not mine. Now you may hear that and go, I thought Jesus said we're supposed to be the light of the world and you're telling me we're supposed to hate our lives? Just like destroy our lives and walk around all the time? It's like, oh, I hate my life. Oh, I hate this, this is terrible. Following Jesus, I hate my life. No, but he's using some pretty harsh language here and, and what he's saying is, hey, if you love the things of this world and you love you as God, you're gonna lose everything. If you're willing to die to yourself and surrender everything to God, man, I've got life for you. It's interesting that he says this as a fact, not a command. This just is what it is. This is how life works. And so today, surrender in a control freak world, we're gonna go through 10 areas of your life that you need to surrender. I just lost half of you. I got a 10 point sermon. We'll be done at about 3.15. Before we go into this, though, I wanna tell you, some of you hear surrender and you go, that's God, tyrant in the sky, trying to rob from us and take from us. Control, he's the control freak. And I wanna say to you that surrender to Jesus 
is where we find the freedom of Jesus. You've got to go into this with this filter knowing that Jesus wants freedom more for you than you want it for yourself. He wants you to surrender and he'll get in your business because he wants it for you. He wants freedom, he wants abundant life. And here's the beautiful thing about God, crazy. You have a God who will let you wrestle with him. There's this story of Jacob back in Genesis where he has this dream and he wrestles with God. Some of you are gonna panic today like, oh, I have five areas of my life that I'm now aware of that I haven't surrendered to God and I don't think I'm good enough and I'm not worthy and God's going, hey, come wrestle with me. My son's three years old and all he wants to do is wrestle me, which is entirely pointless. <laughs> He's three foot something, 38 pounds. I will pin him every time. <laughs> it's pointless to wrestle my son unless I wanna engage in relationship with him. Unless I wanna let him try his strength. Unless I want him to grow. Okay, that's the God that you serve. He wants freedom for you, and he will let you wrestle with him, and today we're gonna wrestle. Surrender your blank. We're gonna fill in this blank 10 times. We're gonna start with the overarching obvious thing that Jesus has been talking about on the grand scale, surrender your life. This is the entry point. This is salvation. This is how this works. You go, hey, I can't make my way to a perfect holy God on my own because I'm a broken person. So I gotta surrender and say, Jesus, you're Lord of my life. I need your grace. I wanna say something to you. Some of you are gonna be offended. Some of you will think I'm arrogant to say this, but I promise you I care more about your soul than what you think of me. The most important decision you will make in this life is whether or not you will surrender your life to Jesus. And every human being is betting their life on whether he is the savior or he's not. Sobering reality, one day every knee will bow to Jesus because he is king, including yours and every tongue will confess that he is Lord, because he is. The weird thing about God is that he gives us a choice in all of this. He's not a grand puppeteer in the sky. Love isn't love if it's forced, which is why Adam and Eve had a choice, and you get that choice. Will you surrender your life to Jesus, what he gave you in the first place? Will you say, hey, I'm moving over to shotgun, you're driving now. Scripture says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your tongue that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. The wild thing about God when it comes to surrender is he does not ask you to do something he did not do first for you. It's his surrender that makes it possible for yours. Jesus went to the cross and bled out to pay for every upside down thing about you and about me so that he could flip things right side up and give us an eternal right side up standing with our heavenly father. And every breath that you take is another chance for you to surrender, to take on the grace of Jesus, the truth of Jesus. So we start from this eternal decision that we all have to make, the most important decision that you will make in your life. And then you have a daily decision. Then Jesus gets in your business. Now you've got a bunch of areas of your life to surrender. You surrender your life, the next place to go is you gotta surrender yourself. And that might sound like the exact same thing, but I'm talking about your ego, your need for importance, this Adam and Eveness in all of us that goes, I wanna be number one. You may say, Jesus, you're the Lord of my life, but in the small ways every day, you'll try to seize back control from him. And this is only uh, made worse by the culture that we live in that will constantly tell you, you're the most important being out there. You got this social media platform that makes you feel like you're a celebrity and everybody cares what you bought at Target and what you think about politics. But we get a misplaced sense of self and our importance. One of my favorite stories from history is Marcus Aurelius. He was the ruler of Rome 
And so everyone actually cared about everything this guy did and said. And everywhere he went, people would praise him and treat him like a god. And this rare ruler always had a person by his side so that in those moments when he was getting praised, that person would whisper in his ear, you're just a man. You're just a man. It reminds me of if you watch football now, head coaches are always screaming at the refs and their players and they'll go too far out on the field and there can be a penalty for that. So there's a guy whose job now is to follow the coach along the sideline and when he goes too far, they grab his shirt and pull him back. That's what that guy did for Marcus Aurelius and what we all need in our life is people and truth to tell us, hey, go back to your proper place. You're just a human being. Not to minimize you, but to maximize God. Not humility to think less of yourself, but to think of yourself less and think more of him. And it's actually, it, it hurts the flesh when you go, hey, you're not the biggest deal. But then it's tremendously freeing because it's not all about you. This isn't all on your shoulders and you can be freed up to just go live the abundant life that Jesus made possible for you because he's on the throne. So you surrender yourself. Now you gotta surrender your beliefs. Zero amens, okay. <laughs> A few weeks ago, Doug said, right now, we all believe something about God, about politics, about life, and somewhere in there, you're wrong because you're a finite human being. You're wrong about something. But we live in the Chip and Joanna Gaines DIY life. Nothing against the Gaines. They're amazing people, surrendered to Jesus. We wanna do it ourselves, everything, including our beliefs. Oh, I like that Jesus said this, I'll incorporate that. I don't like that he said that, so I'm leaving that out. Let me ask you, have you actually surrendered your political views to God? Like gone to scripture, Talk to him about it. The thing that you are so sure you're right about, the thing that you are just so strong on because it's the opposite of what your parents believe. Have you surrendered your political views to God? Are you willing to be wrong? To go ask him, but what do you think about this? Because I've always thought this. Maybe you're right, but maybe you're not. Have you surrendered your theology to him? What you believe about him, what you believe about faith. Jesus came and he kept flipping theology right side up and everybody hated it. Jesus goes to the Pharisees who believe that your worth and standing with God is based on your good behavior. So he says, let me tell you a story. There was this son, this prodigal son, who took his inheritance and went and disgraced his dad in his home and squandered it on sin and lavish living, got to the end of himself, eating with pigs, and goes, I've only got one option, I'm gonna go back home. And the Pharisees are listening, and you know in their minds, they're like, get him, Jesus. Give him what he deserves. And the father put him to death, right? No, the father, this loving father, met him with a ring and a robe and threw a party for him because his son was lost, but he came home. And the Pharisees would go, that's not fair. That's not right. And Jesus goes, no, your theology is upside down because you haven't surrendered to grace. And us prodigal kids, we love that. But this is the same Jesus that tells people mired in sin, choosing sin, self-justifying, or believing this is just my lot in life. And he goes, hey, go and sin no more. You may think that grace is just your get out of jail free card to go do whatever you want, but your theology is upside down because you haven't surrendered to truth. You don't actually want freedom in your life. But when we disagree with God on something, we go talk to everybody else about it except for him. It's like if me and my wife have an issue and instead of talking to her, I just go, I'm out of here. Doug, Ryan, let's go to dinner. Let's get some food and drinks and I'm gonna vent and you guys just tell me everything that I wanna hear which they wouldn't, it's a metaphor. 
How different is that than if I go to my wife and go, hey, we have a disagreement, we're going to dinner. We're gonna talk about this. But how often do we talk about God without actually talking to him? You guys having fun? <laughs> this one's light. Surrender your sin. It's a joke. For a lot of us, we just deny that sin is sin. We just go, this is my thing. It's fine. Or maybe we kind of hide it as this part of our life that's kind of in the corner and just like a pet that we keep around. And the longer you let it live in your house, the more it destroys it. Now, when I was in college, I start walking with Jesus, and in the back of my mind, I'm going, at some point, my sex life is going to come up. Not excited for that. I don't want God involved in that. I don't want to bring that to him. I'm not surrendering that to him. I'm going to keep doing this my way. And I think on the surface level, what I would have said is because God's just like this killjoy. He just doesn't want us to have fun. And I think Jesus was coming to me in those moments going, hey, numbing yourself on Friday and Saturday night might seem like fun, but is the Monday morning shame that follows fun? Are you actually feeling like you're living free, abundant life right now? And what it points me to on a deeper level, because sin is not a problem for Jesus. He's dealt with that. He holds all the power over it, but we don't invite him into our sin because of our shame. And sometimes it feels noble. It felt noble to me to go, this is this area of my life, God, that I've... I don't want you to see. I don't want to let you in here because I know deep down I'm not doing this your way. I know being the college guy sleeping around is not the plan you have for me and quite honestly, it's toxic at this point. But I'm so ashamed that I don't want to let you in and it's our shame that allows the sin to hold the power over us. It might feel noble to beat yourself up and not let God in, but hear me on this. Shame never bears good fruit because it's not from God. So if you wanna surrender your sin and find freedom from it, you gotta surrender your shame about it as well. And when I reached that point where I finally realized, well, God already knows, but I have to let him in because I look at all these other areas of my life and I feel like I'm finding freedom in these areas, but this one just keeps getting more and more toxic. Maybe it's because I'm holding it like this. And so I surrender that to God. And you know what I was met with? His judgment and wrath and anger and him going, oh my gosh, wasn't aware of this part of your life. Sorry, I'm out. I was met with peace and freedom in that area of my life for the first time since I was 10 years old and felt shame about a relationship with a girl. Freedom. Was it easy? No. Did I love going to God and go, here's my sex life, surrendering this to you again? No. But I was so much freer. We've all got vices, we've all got sin, we've all got shame about it. My challenge to you is to invite God into the very places you think most shock him. Invite him into the places that you think most separate him from you and watch as for the very first time, freedom comes into that area of your life. Next up, surrender your idols. This one's kind of like a crossover episode of a lot of the other ones because there's a lot of things that we can all make idols out of that are on other places on this list, but I wanted this to be distinct for all of us because idolatry is at the core of the human heart. If you read the Old Testament, it's just a cycle of the Israelites worshiping idols instead of God. Idolatry is just worshiping anything other than God, and we are so prone to that as human beings, and it makes the job of the enemy of our soul so easy because his whole goal is just to get you to worship anything other than Jesus. 
If you're worshiping Jesus, if you're surrendered to Jesus, he's got no power in your life. But the second you put your eyes on something out and put that on the throne, man, he can get to work on that. And the obvious ones, self and sin and some of these things, that, that can be obvious idols in our life. There's also a lot of just neutral things that can be good, but we make idols out of them and put them out of place. Jesus used money as his most common example. He, he tells us, you can't love both God and money. You can't serve both. Not a command, a fact. Which is why a rich young ruler comes to him and goes, hey, I want eternal life. I, do, I think I do the right thing. What should I do from here to follow you? And Jesus goes, sell everything you have, give it to the poor and come follow me. Jesus says it to this specific guy because this specific guy loves money. It's the number one idol in his life. We know that because he goes away sad because he wants his money more than he wants Jesus. There are so many things in our lives that we say mine about, like the birds in Finding Nemo, right? <laughs> the things that you say mine about and grab at and try to control and put them up on a throne, those are the idols in your life that just need to be put back in their proper place. What doesn't help is that you have a trophy case for idols in your pocket everywhere you go. Our phones take all these things that steal our attention and our affection and they just put them all in one place. Whether that's social media and celebrity, fame, influence, whether it's pornography, whether it's an obsession with the stock market and our bank accounts, it's all just always at our fingertips to rob and steal our attention and affection every day. So we've gotta surrender that stuff. Surrender your idols to Jesus. Next up, surrender your pain. This might sound like a strange one. For some people, your story is that it was the most painful things that led you to God. For a lot of other people, it's those painful things that led you away from him, and maybe justifiably so. I don't know what's happened in your life. I have a lot of questions for God about things that happen and I don't mean to minimize your pain, but I do know that you have a creator and a savior that wants to be in it with you. And so if that's you, where you just will not let God in to your pain, let me lovingly say to you, do not run from him because you don't understand. Run to him because he does. There is not a piece of pain that Jesus can't understand because he endured all of our sin and our shame and our pain. He's there with you. For some of us, though, pain can become comfort. It can become the idol in our life. I have a friend who has been through a lot, a lot of things outside of her control, and we talked a while back, and, and she was talking about the pain in her life and the, the toxic things and the cycles and holding it like this, and I could see that. And so I always looked to Jesus, and Jesus asked a man at a pool, hey, do you want to get well? And I looked at her, and I said, you know, I love you, but I'm gonna say this bluntly. I don't think you actually wanna be healed because if you get healed, you won't get attention for your pain anymore. Yeah, you don't wanna be my friend. Like, geez, avoid that guy in the lobby. <laughs> she was mature enough to hear it. We just talked this past week, and she goes, you remember when you said that? I didn't like it in the moment, but I needed to hear it. And she decided that freedom and healing sounded way better than attention. And she is a different person now. That is a journey that's possible for all of us, but you've gotta open up your hands. For some of you, you're holding your pain like this, and you can do that for the rest of your life, but that wound will always remain open and you will bleed on the people around you. Surrender your pain to your healer. Next up, surrender your time. This might be the thing that we most say mine about. It's the most precious resource we have. A finite amount of time on this earth and we are all so busy. 
And I got convicted in my life recently that I, I make it out to be like, I don't have time for God. I also don't have time for the person on the street corner because I'm too busy. I need to be on this phone call. I need to be listening to this podcast. I don't have anything in my car because I'm too busy to go to the bank and just get some dollar bills. Too busy to make care packages to hand to a human being who's living on the streets. I'm not. I'm not too busy. I just think I am. So I got convicted about this and I decided no matter what happens, if I don't have anything in my car, no matter the day, no matter the phone call I need to be on, if I see somebody, I'm gonna roll my window down and say hi to them. I can give them a little bit of my time. The other day I was right out here at the stoplight at a red light. I needed to be on a phone call that I knew was gonna take a while that I needed to be over before I got home. And I see this guy coming towards my car and I'm like, I don't really have time for this. And I felt the spirit go, do you have time for people? I think you do. So I roll my window down, we have a conversation, exchange names, talk a little bit. The light turns green, I go, hey, I gotta take off, it was really nice to meet you. And he looks me in the eye and goes, hey, thank you for saying hi to me today. And he never asked me for anything. Because probably what he needed more than a dollar bill was another human being to look him in the eye and go, you have dignity and worth because you're a child of God created in his image and I have time for you. If I, have, if I don't have time for people, then I have missed the entire point of the gospel. And you can't be all things to all people, but you have more time than you think you do. We all do, and I can tell you that with authority because on average, everybody in this room watches Netflix, HBO Max, Disney Plus, whatever your streaming service is, for two to three hours a day. And watching shows and movies is not a bad thing, but it becomes one when it takes the place of the priorities in our life, when we don't have time for God or people anymore. I say this a lot, I don't think you're as busy as you think you are, I think you're really bad at time management. Surrender your time. It is the most precious resource we have, so we should spend it on the most precious things in this life, which is our relationship with God and the people he puts in our path. Tithe your time. Give him the first of it every morning, even if it's 10 minutes. Some of you parents are like, I've got two minutes before my kid burns the house down. Give him those two minutes. Surrender your time to the one who is outside of it and created it, and watch the freedom that he brings in your life. This next one, might be the toughest for a lot of us. Surrender your relationships. Family, friends, romantic relationships, kids. You know how hard it was for me driving to the first day of preschool for my son? I'm in the car like, maybe we just turn back, go home. Bubble Boy would be fine. He'll thrive. It was so hard to open my hands and let my son walk into preschool because I am terrified of him being in an environment that I can't control. And I think about my mom, and she's always my motivator to open my hands with people because she has always been like that for me. There was a day when I was about to leave home for a long time and I, I said to her, hey, are you okay? She said, I feel everything that a parent would and should feel. But from the moment you were born, I held you and I said, hey God, you've entrusted me with this kid, but this is your kid first. And so I'm gonna hold you like this. And she has been such a place of freedom in my life with love and support, but always saying, you're God's kid first. I wanna be a parent that can honestly pray, your will, not mine, for my son. And that is a hard prayer to pray. But for some of us parents, it's all out of love and good intention, but we hold our kids like this and choke the life out of our relationship with them. How about romantic relationships? This will make the lobby fun after this service. <laughs> From the time I was 10 years old, 
right? I, I felt like I always needed to have a girl in my life. I always wanted a relationship. Starts naive, turns into I always need to be talking to someone, hooking up with someone, have something going on in my life. And it was this area that I just held it like this. God, you're not getting in here. I'll read the Bible and I'll go to this small group, I'll go to church, but my romantic relationships, that's gonna be my way. And guess how many healthy ones I had? Zero. Do you see a common denominator in that math? Me. Because I held those relationships like this. I want control. I don't want God involved in this. I'm gonna do this my way. Until I finally realized I probably need to just check the math here. I am batting zero doing this my way. So I surrendered to God. I opened my hands up and said, this has not been working my way. He was like, you think? I'm gonna let you into this part of my life. I'm not gonna try to control. I'm not gonna do this my own way, but I'm gonna let you lead here. While after I made that decision, I met Steph. And she would deny this, but when we first met, I was very interested, she was not. She tries to paint it like, no, no, just like traveling and busy. Like, if you like somebody, you'd let them know, okay? <laughs> she was at the 830, she already, she already heard this. So I met her, and I'm thinking, now this is the type of woman I wanna be with. A little while later after we'd met, I had texted her trying to initiate going out to hang out, get to know each other, which by the way, you need to do. You can't just go home and be like, I surrender this God, so I'm gonna stay in my house and wait for someone to come knock on my door and go, I think I'm your future spouse. <laughs> Ask somebody on a date, go on a date, but let God lead the relationship and keep going like this to him. And so I text my wife, who is my wife now, she was certainly not then. <laughs> and she didn't text me back for a while. Later that night, I was up sitting on my car, just having some quiet time, like the third time I've ever done that in my life. <laughs> she texts me right then. And I could tell from her message, very kind, very diplomatic, but she was saying, hey, we're not gonna hang out tonight or any night. So I just crushed my phone and wept. No, not really. I was sad though. And I would start to write messages back to her to control. I put myself out there, it wasn't reciprocated, but I wanted to just try to do something. And I felt God check me and go, hey, did you, did you really mean it when you said you were gonna surrender this part of your life to me? Are you gonna hold this with open hands? And so I said, okay, God, I will surrender this. Just a footnote, this is the woman or type of woman that I would like to end up with, so you know that now. <laughs> but I will surrender this to you, and now this is your problem too. <laughs> and I sent her a nice message and I deleted her phone number so that I could not contact her and try to control from there. Now this isn't a formula, so you guys that are deleting numbers right now, don't be mad at me if you're not married to that girl a year from now but I surrendered it to God. And he's looking at me like, this is a problem now for me because this guy can't be alone for five minutes. I can't believe he's by himself right now. He's codependent on those Weckenman guys. I gotta figure this out for this guy. <laughs> In due time, I surrendered it. Six months later, found myself at a baseball game. My sister-in-law had invited Steph to the game, hadn't talked to her since. For some reason, probably just the grace of God, there was interest that day. So I asked her out on a date. 
We went on some dates, and I kept feeling God go, keep holding this with open hands. Put me at the center of this relationship. Do this differently. The day that I decided I was gonna ask her to marry me, I asked for his blessing to do so. I'm gonna open my hands and surrender this. God, if this is your will for my life, I wanna know that. And I constantly, in eight years of marriage, I have to keep on handing her back to Jesus. I have these pictures in my mind where I'm like, hey, this is your daughter. Sometimes I'm like, hey, this is your daughter. I mean, that's your problem. <laughs> what are the relationships in your life that you are holding like this? And how's that going? Some of you are sitting here right now and you're thinking about that person that's like, oh, I know who I'm sending this sermon to. He needs to surrender. Send it and then admit the fact that you need control in that person's life and surrender it. Don't choke the life out of the relationships that God gives you. Hold them with open hands and let him lead. The last one, this is not an exhaustive list. So if you're like, you forgot, surrender your fear, that's the thing that you need to surrender. <laughs> surrender your plans. Way easier said than done. Surrender is not easy. The way of Jesus is not easy. Patience is not easy. Reliance is not easy. Humility is not easy. Surrender is not easy, but it is better. Better and easy are not the same thing. And we are called to live in active surrender. There's a whole difference between just standing like this, I've surrendered, or letting God order the steps of a righteous man and moving, on the dreams and the passions and the gifts that he's put into your life with him leading, but being willing to detour at any point that he calls you to. Active surrender. The beautiful thing about living in active surrender when it comes to your plans and your future and everything that you have drawn up is that when you're surrendered to Jesus, you have the freedom of Jesus, which means mountaintop or valley low, you have contentment. You can find that no matter the moment because he's leading, because he has freed you because you have surrendered. It was crazy thinking about this sermon. It was really hard for me to think of any area of my life that is not better than I would have made it had I not surrendered it to God. On paper, there's a lot of things. I don't work at ESPN. I'm not a billionaire. Those were my childhood dreams. God must have known that I couldn't handle that very well. But all the areas of my life, and I have more to go, that I have surrendered, I see better and I see freedom. Even if on paper it's not what I would have done, I have freedom at my core that I would not have had had I been in control. The disciples had to learn this. They had plans. They left those plans to follow Jesus. And then they found out this is the Messiah. This is the Son of God, the Christ. He has come to save the world. So they made new plans. Well, when this guy overthrows Rome, we're gonna be at the head table with him. He's the king. This is awesome. We're gonna have all the power and all the fame and all the money. It's no wonder when Jesus gets arrested and he doesn't fight back or do anything that Peter pulls his sword out and goes, hold on a second, that's not the plan. You don't just surrender. And Jesus looks at Peter and goes, no, that's not the plan. My way has to be your way. And watch what happens as I surrender, how there's freedom on the other side for you. It won't always make sense to you and it will not be easy. But on the other side of surrender, there will always be freedom. Best piece of golf advice I've ever gotten. Great transition. <laughs> I can pipe a 300-yard drive, but it's going to go most likely into the woods. 
And so I was at the driving range one day with my grandpa, who's an amazing golfer. I'm like, watch my swing and fix it. And I'm hitting wayward drives all over the place. I stop and I go, okay, fix it. What do I do? Tell me everything. And he goes, loosen your grip. You are trying so hard to control where the ball is supposed to go that you're not even giving it a chance to go there. And that is true of my golf game to this day still. Imperfect golfer pursuing the perfect round. <laughs> you can boo me, that's fine. I've surrendered your opinions of me already, so. <laughs> Loosen your grip. It's so true in my life. So many things, I don't even give them the chance to go where God has them going because I'm just holding them like this. I don't let them go to the freedom and the joy and the hope that there could be in that area of my life because I just go like this. Loosen your grip. And the best way to loosen your grip starts with worship. It's like having that guy next to you. You're, you're just a human. Standing beneath an amazing God who loves you, who died for you, who has eternal life for you, who surrendered for you, and who wants freedom for you. And we're gonna sing a hymn called I Surrender All. Here's a little fact about it. A man named Judson Van Deventer published this hymn back in 1896. Here's what he said about the song. For some time I had struggled between developing my talents in the field of art and going into full-time evangelistic work. At last, the pivotal hour of my life came and I surrendered all. A new day was ushered into my life. I became an evangelist and discovered deep down in my soul a talent hitherto unknown to me. God had hidden a song in my heart and touching a tender chord, he caused me to sing. This man had plans, he had gifts, he had a path laid out, but he surrendered it to God and watched God do more in his life than he would have been able to manufacture himself, including finding out that he was an amazing songwriter who wrote this hymn so that generations and generations of the church could sing, I surrender all, and see the freedom that comes from it. So I wanna go a little old school here. We're singing a hymn, and I just wanna altar call this thing. And if altar calls and hymns make you start to feel like, oh, I got a lot of church baggage, let this be a house of religion rehab for you. I believe there's something very powerful when we move outwardly on what's happening inwardly. And God can hear you from your seat. Maybe you just need to listen to the lyrics to this song and just see something surface and go, God, I need to surrender this to you. But I know in my life, it's been the moments when I made a bold move and I put a stake in the ground and said, I'm surrendering right now. That's, that's when I started to really feel that freedom. And so there's gonna be prayer team, there's gonna be staff in the front of this room. If we run out of room, there'll be people along the back to pray with you. For some people in this room, this just might be the day that you go, Jesus, I'm surrendering my life to you. I've never done that before. I've never surrendered my life and called you Lord of my life and I realize that I can't my, make my way to a perfect God. But I see that you surrendered so that I could surrender. I see that you surrendered so that your blood could wash me clean and flip everything that's upside down about me so that I could have a right side up relationship with my heavenly father for eternity. And so I surrender my life to you, Jesus. Come pray with somebody. Some of you, maybe there's just a specific area. Maybe you have surrendered your life to Jesus, but there's some areas that you're just holding like this. And it's time to open those hands and let go, to loosen your grip, to let him into those places. Come get on your knees and pray. Come talk to somebody. There's power when you speak out loud that thing that you think holds so much power over you. And you say it out loud and you watch the freedom and the power of Jesus come in and say, now sin's not a problem for me. I can deal with this. I'm not shocked by you. Now let's go to work because I've got freedom 
on the other side of this surrender for you. Pray with somebody. Make a bold move today. And don't be ashamed. Everyone has that awkward thing where it's like, I think I'd be the first one to walk up. Everyone's gonna know something's wrong with me, that I have something to surrender while everybody else is going, man, I wish I had that bravery. Make the move that God's calling you to. Don't worry about the people around you. So Jesus, as we stand to our feet, as we sing this song, as we take this in, I pray that you would give us the strength and the courage to surrender all. As we make moves to the front of this room, I pray that people would be met with freedom today. I thank you that you surrendered first for us, Jesus, that you want freedom in life more for us than we even want it for ourselves. I pray for healing, courage, freedom in this room. In Jesus' name, amen.